Here's the story of two dental hygienists from opposite sides of the world who became friends because they realized their professional lives were so in sync. One in Australia and one in America, both exuding their high passion for high-level patient care, both pushing back on legacy dentistry. If you are ready to revolutionize the practice of dental hygiene through science and innovation, join us as we are Disrupting Dentistry. And welcome to the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. If you are new here, welcome as a new listener. We are going to convert you into one of our disruptors. And if you are a disruptor, welcome back. We have an amazing episode for you today. Uh, By the way, I'm Melissa coming in from the United States. And I'm here with my partner in crime, Tabitha. Hi, everyone. (laughs) my buddy from australia so we have an amazing guest that has uh decided to come on with us today and and just be incredibly strong and share her story and i'm gonna let uh teresa come on in and just give us a little bit of a background about your experience as a dental patient sharing what she has been through so this is teresa actually one of my friends from australia which is very exciting that she said this and um i thought what we might start with is just tell us a little bit about yourself before you got cancer, because I think that's important that we remember you're a person and who you were before the oral cancer. Yeah, yeah. I think it did. Hi. Uh, I think it did come sort of at a fortunate time in my life, uh, the diagnosis, which is weird to say because I was 40, 40, I think. And, um, yeah, I think I was probably at the fittest I'd been because, you know, in your late 20s and early 30s, you're abusing your body with, you know, <laughs> I was really having fun. <laughs> and um, and then I, um, I so, you know, I, that probably wouldn't have been a good time to be um, diagnosed and have to go through all that treatment because, you know, you wouldn't be at your peak. But I'd actually had um, settled down a lot, you know, by the time I was diagnosed. And I'd actually quit my desk job because I'd started to foster um, um, my friend's children who passed away suddenly. And um, so I devoted a good period of time to a a good amount of years. I'm, I'm just trying to think how old Amy was when I was diagnosed, but I think it was about 12. So, yeah, I'd say a good eight. To not eight or nine years that you know I'd quit my desk job so that I could be home with primary school age children, um, and and you know not have all these demands. And I was actually had like completely changed my career into a swim coach. So I had this really and and you know when you, when you when you're single and you're young you you don't eat well you don't you know I lived by myself I you know quite selfish and self you know and then. Um, and then you you have children, you you eat much better for yourself. You look after yourself because you're looking after them. So, you know, you've got primary school age children in the house. And um, yeah, so and and I was swim and I was coaching swimming. So and I'd been doing that for, you know, five years or so. So yeah, I was really um I was really healthy at the time. So and I'm I'm grateful for that because I'm sure that it really put me in good stead for the treatment, which was just so brutal. Yeah. So, and then in 2016, I was diagnosed with um, osteosarcoma. Uh, It's actually like very rare, um, very rare disease and even more rare to have it in your face and even more rare to have it at my age. 
Um, so I got lucky on so many levels. <laughs> um, yeah. And um, I, yeah, so when I was diagnosed um, and they started to tell me what some of the treatment was going to be, I was like quite grateful of how healthy I was as a starting point, you know, because the treatment was so brutal and I became so unhealthy. So it's actually a childhood disease, osteosarcoma. So at first I thought, oh, I'm lucky because I'm really young, you know, so I've got uh, surely whatever the statistics are of this thing that I've just been told I have, um, I'm going to have a good chance, you know, of, um, of beating it because I'm so young. And then they told me, no, it's childhood disease. So um, actually you're quite old to have it. So while I'm young to have cancer and oral cancer, I was actually old to have osteosarcoma. Um, and what were your first symptoms? So I had a numb lip and I was really lucky um, again, <laughs> just lucky me. I got a, um, I was actually staying with a good friend of mine who's, who's an excellent dentist and um, who I've known for many years. And she, uh, I was staying, I, I was on extended leave from work, staying with her. Um, and I, I told her one morning, I said, you know what? The last couple of days, my lip has been numb. My, my, my lower lip on one side was numb. And I just, I just didn't really put any, I actually gave no weight to it. And I don't know why, but I just didn't, you know, I just thought it's numb you know, and then I just realised how numb it was. Like it was as numb as when you have your face numbed for a filling, you know. And oh. she was like, that's not right. That's not good. You know, like go. And she wasn't working at the time. She just had a baby, which was why I was staying there to help her look after that baby. And um, so she sent me to go. She actually owns that dental practice. So she sent me to go and see one of her guys and said, um, you know, go and tell him I want an OPG, you know. And so um, she, she's sitting there with the baby on the breast and, like, sending me down the road to go and get an OPG and see what it could be. And um, so he did do that OPG and he saw, like, what looked like a massive um, abscess and said to me, um, I'm going to put you on. It's, like, huge, this abscess. He said, "I've to be honest, I've never seen one this big. I'm going to put you on this antibiotic. So I picked up some antibiotics on my way back to her place. And and she, because she had really nothing else to do except sit there with a baby on her boob, just straight away got onto all the um, documents about it because she thought, it's too weird, this is too big, you know. And she, you know, and he said, oh, well, I need to do a root canal. You can come back tomorrow or the next day or whatever, you know, like I need to get down into the abscess. And, um, yeah, so she... Um, but she, in the meantime, had said, "If it's what I think it is, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to scare you, Teresa. But you, know, you need to be getting your affairs in order. Like this is like a serious thing, you know." And she actually picked up on it straight away. And I just, I completely dismissed her. You know, I was like, "Yeah, right. I've got a numb lip, mate. I don't want to hear about you. Whatever you're reading about, like I'm bored with talking about it. You know, like I'm just annoyed. I'm on antibiotics because you know I'm on holidays down here." In, in sunny Ballina and I want to have a wine, you know, and um, I'm on these <laughs> stupid antibiotics. So I was more bothered about that than I was about whatever she was talking about in the background, which I I just dismissed. And I went back there and she had actually asked him during the root canal to take some of the pus out 
and um, send it to the lab because she had these things. And what had happened was when he did the root, because I was saying, you don't need to numb it, mate. Like, you could just do that root canal. It's, uh, don't worry about numbing it. I can't feel anything, you know. But um, he, there was no pus. Uh, unfortunately, he didn't quite realise that that meant it's not an abscess, you know, there should be pus. So there was no pus to send to the lab. And he actually gave me a referral to another, you know, oral specialist, you know. And we were in Ballina, you know, we're a bit rural. So um, there was nowhere really to go. And um, and I didn't want to part with money for a specialist because I'm still thinking this is nothing, you know. So I didn't even, I didn't want to go to this appointment because I didn't want to pay for it. And I was on holidays, so I didn't want to waste my time. And, you know, Kim, she was really pressing me to go and to take it more seriously. And um, so, um, you know, I went up. When I got home, I went to another dentist who, um, and I sent them the OPG and she was just onto it straight away. She was actually brilliant. She said to me, um, um she was saying, oh, we're going to have to take, like, that's a big abscess. We're going to have to take a tooth out. And I was like, I'm 40. You're not taking, it's like quite a frontal tooth there. Like, you're not taking out one of my teeth. I was worried about losing one tooth. I think I eventually, I think it's 12 teeth I'm missing now. So, yeah, um, not including the wisdom to which I'd already didn't have. So, yeah, um, yeah, I was worried about one tooth coming out and that I didn't want that one tooth to come out to sort this abscess out. But she took an OPG and with the size of the abscess being so different and I took a copy of the OPG from my friend, from where I'd had it done and she could see the size. And she actually said to me, you need to go to the emergency department. And that was a dentist. So just a general dentist. And she said, you need to go to uh, the hospital and check in an emergency. And I still wasn't going to do it. I can't believe how many warning signs and I still wasn't going to go. And I was on my way home and I just didn't like how ominous it was and like that this whole numb lip was turning into a whole thing now. And I was like, I don't want this whole, it's just turning into a whole thing now. I don't like it. And I rang my brother and I, you know, I said to him, she wants me to go to emergency and I'm just irritated by the whole thing. Like, I just want someone who's going to go in there and suck the pus out of this abscess and fix my tooth up, you know. And um, But he said to me, can you please just promise me you'll go? So, yeah. So I went to emergency and um, I could tell that they knew what it was too, which was amazing. And, you know, because she was getting more advice because it is so rare. So she was getting more advice and I could see her getting advice like over there. I'm like, she's calling more and more doctors in to come and see me. Oh, okay, now this guy's calm. He's maxillofacial. So he says, we're going to keep you here tonight. I'm like, I'm not even sick. I don't want to be taken. I don't want a hospital bed for the night. I'm not even sick. Like everyone is just being a little bit dramatic here. But they kept me in there overnight. And in the morning I had quite a big surgery where they said, we're just going to remove the whole thing. And I remember I went home and it was so painful, like I had, like gum had fallen away from my teeth, wasn't attached to my teeth anymore and they'd taken this thing out and uh, I took about, and I was in a lot of pain, I, I was in a lot of pain and um, I think it was less than a week I got phone calls from the hospital saying, um, 
making bookings, booking me in for appointments with um, head and neck surgery and, and all of this. But nobody had told me anything. Nobody had told me that I had cancer. So I'm literally just getting admin phone calls. Oh, we, we you know, we, we booked you in. You know, I'm back at work now, you know, and um, and, I'm, and I'm getting appointments made, yeah. And I still, <laughs> I still didn't click that, you know. I, I was still in so much, like, I don't know what all of this fuss is about. And, um, yeah, so I went in and the... Um, because, oh, that was the other thing. In the morning, after my surgery, they said, like, the good news is, the bad news is we didn't get it all. But the good news is we don't think it looks sinister. So that's a good thing. And I was thinking, yeah, well, I wasn't thinking it was anything sinister anyway, so this isn't news to me. This was an assumption I was just making. So, and, um, yeah, so then um, they when they got the results and it was osteosarcoma, that guy just felt shameful. I felt, I, I felt sorry for him because in my mind, hearing that it was cancer, which everyone thinks, oh, that must be such an awkward time sitting in a room uh, and being told you've got cancer. But to me, I still had this sort of abscess in my mind or, or tumour or whatever it was. Whether it's cancerous or not didn't make that, I didn't think that made that much difference to me. Because I thought we it just needs out, you know, and um, yeah. So, but um, yeah, they said no. That's osteo. It's a disease called osteosarcoma, and um, we referred you on to head and neck. So no longer a maxillofacial, and so over to um, head and neck. Yeah. And then I do remember when you had your surgery because I remember Jarrett. I know Teresa's brother quite well, so I remember he, he flew up and stuff for it. How long was it until they booked you back in to redo that surgery, to, re to have the proper surgery? So, no, the next step was, um, so that after, so I had that day to, you yeah. know, like um, I was at the hospital where they said, okay, you've got cancer. Uh, you're going to see the head and neck guy this afternoon. So literally just a few hours, wait at the hospital, not even worth going home. And I just got on my phone Googling, um, what, Google, what yes. to ask when you have cancer <laughs> what to ask <laughs> when you've just been diagnosed with cancer because I didn't know because he, he was like go and have some lunch downstairs think about what you want to what, what you might want to ask him and I was thinking <laughs> I don't know what I want to ask him you know yeah and, yeah go and have some so, lunch you have cancer have some lunch I'll see you in an hour <laughs> oh my god yeah <laughs> And yeah. then, so then when I got to that thing, that guy, the, that guy, um, so I've just got a pen and paper and I'm writing down some questions, you know, what grade is the cancer? Um, when will the treatment start? What kind of treatment should I expect? You know, uh, things Can like that. Can I say that. something quickly? Yeah. That's very logical and level-headed of you. I think <laughs> but, you have to give yourself, I, I, I honestly think you have to pat yourself on the back for a little bit because when you said Google, I was thinking you, I would have been there. What is the mortality rate? And I would have gone down that <laughs> hole so quickly. I would have been on the base of that hole and I would have been Googling the worst stuff. But instead you made a Google of what questions should I ask? <laughs> and you thought so logically and so smart in a really stressful situation. I actually think you have to give yourself a little bit of a pat on the back for that. Because I would have not gone down those questions. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. Do you know what? Like I said, I hadn't. 
I think I was kidding myself. I was in yeah. a huge amount of denial. And, you know, m- my assumptive was it being cancerous. The the only thing that frightened me a little bit was just how anxious this guy was telling me the news. So yeah. I sort of grasped the gravity because this guy, like, he walked in and out of the room a couple he, – he was lovely. I wish that I could have stayed because I think that uh, I, I didn't have a relationship with any of my head and neck surgeons and I think – had that max low, that first max low facial surgery. And I think he felt bad because he told me it wasn't sinister. And I yeah. was thinking all of that don't, doesn't matter to me anyway because I didn't, um, I just, like I said, my, my mindset wasn't there. It was sort this out. I've got things to do, you know, let's sort this out. Oh, I didn't know it was going to be a huge journey. I didn't yeah. know it was going to be life-altering, you know, the way that it has been. So, uh, which was probably good because, you know, I wasn't um, as scared in those first weeks. So I went up there and he's, you know, I met this guy. He goes, what can I do for you? And I said, oh, well, um, a guy this morning just told me uh, I've got cancer. So there's that. (laughs) You know, I was kind of annoyed actually that he didn't open the file and see what was I there for. That, you know, he says to me you know what can I I was really I, I was really annoyed by that that he didn't even bother to open the file like no I'm not here to do you know I, I don't know what I'm here for yeah. you're supposed to tell me what I'm here for next you know like you're my first step in this whole process and it's not gone well so far because you you yeah. know didn't open my file anyway so I mean really he couldn't do anything in that moment because it's so rare like I, who knows how many times he'd even treated osteosarcoma if and so he you know he just said um, you know really all he can do in in, in fact no it, it did get worse I, f- I forgot about this bit for a minute but he said I don't think so that's what he said to me I don't think it is osteosarcoma very rare highly unlikely you're not not in your age and I said well I'm just passing on I mean you, you might want to open the file at some point because I'm just passing on what the guy told me this morning you know just four doors down from here and he actually sent the, uh, he actually, even after open, looking at the file, he said, I don't, uh, I just don't think so. So um, and he was in more denial than me. <laughs> he said, I'm going to send it back to pathology because I actually think that there's a good chance this is a false diagnosis. And I, I just remember being really annoyed because I'm like, I don't think so. I, I didn't think so. Like, look, all along, I haven't thought it was cancer, but since that guy told me that this morning, I feel like it's cancer and I feel like let's get it out of my face now, please, because I don't feel good about having cancer in my face. So let's just do that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he he sent that off to pathology. I had to wait another week. So that whole week, and I just felt, I felt it that he wasn't, that, that you know, we should be starting the treatment now, please. <laughs> You know, like, let's get a plan together because then you go and see him. Then I go back and um, he says, yeah, it, um, yeah, it is osteosarcoma. So what we're going to do is we're going to get a, uh, a clinic together, you know. Well, they only do clinics on Thursdays and I think, you know, I went back for the results on Friday. So now I have to wait another week. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, I feel like this is urgent now because – you know, I've had my friend in Ballina telling me, get my affairs in order if it's what I think it is, you know, and now I'm, I think I'll then then is Tabitha when I wanted to Google 
like what is the you know what's going to happen but I kind of um and I don't really know why I didn't but don't, also I, I am getting my life in order you know so you know um doing something with my children my home my you know because what they had told me was that the treatment's brutal yeah. you can't live on your own you can't live on your own you can't just be you and the kids there anymore um you can't you need to pack your house up, you know. And I remember sitting around my bro- one of my brothers, the one that Tabitha knows well, lived in Sydney. So he flew up and and we all sat around a table with my other brother who lived locally to me and his wife and two kids and said, right, well, you know, um, kids are going to go and stay with their grandmother and you're going to stay at our place. And I was like, no, I'm not. There's just no way. I just, I just know, like, you can have a really nice family, but, and I had a nice family, but I'm, I'm hard work when I don't have cancer. So <laughs> I, you know, I, I even said that to my brother, I said, you know, one of the things, and I've been chipper so far, but I've already been pissed off in the, and I've only had cancer for 10 days. And, you know, like I'm already, you know, I was already over it <laughs> and I was only 10, hadn't even started any of the treatments. And, um, you know, I was pissed off by that, you know, can I say that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, we've got an warning. Don't worry about that. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Were- you know, I, I was already so annoyed by that guy, you know, um, wasting my time and now this clinic and this situation of it being another six days away and I'm already annoyed by the system and I've only been in it for 10 days, you know. Um, and I didn't know that I was going to have many, many more years of the system really and yeah. you know um so yeah i kind of i didn't want to do that look at the end of the day i had no options I, ha- I i didn't have a lot of options in front of me i didn't i wasn't i didn't have a huge amount of savings to uh you know i was a single parent you know i didn't um uh, and, and i'd quit my career you know i'd become a swim coach which you know is lovely and fun and all that but it doesn't pay very well <laughs> you know <laughs> Uh, I didn't do it for the money, so I didn't have a backup. So, yeah, yeah. so that's the thing, you know, financially. Um, I couldn't just go and afford to just go and rent out a studio apartment near the hospital, you know, which, you know, would have been ideal. Yeah, um, I think most people would be in that, a lot of people would be in that situation. Sure, though. absolutely. Um, totally. Yeah, or even worse, unfortunately. So you get to the clinic. You finally get they you have the clinic and then what was their plan? What what did they say is that so start? it's pretty straightforward. There isn't there hasn't like I mean, because it's so rare, I guess, you know, like you, you see advances in some cancers with that are common, like breast cancer, the advancements have been amazing in the treatment, yeah. uh, uh, which is great. And you know, um but the advancements in osteosarcoma, um, they're just there aren't many. So it's the same protocol across the world. Um, but you're going to have these two chemos. I guess the main thing that we talked about um, was the surgery. Um, so in that clinic was, um, and and radiation. And by that stage, I had done some research on radiation, on the, on the, you know, on the options. And, um, and when I Googled that first day, one of the first things I Googled, Googled, uh, one of the first things I saw when they said, you've been, so you've just been diagnosed with cancer, you know, was, that you don't have to do what they say have ask a lot of questions be informed and like i just think that that's 
one thing, you know, and I do talk to people that have just been diagnosed now a lot where I do say, you know, um, don't worry what they think of you if they think you're a pain. Um, it's your it's your treatment program. You choose your treatment. And, and that's one thing that's bothered me about osteosarcoma because it is in children, because uh, it is a childhood cancer. It's really bothered me that I, I did have some options, you know, and I did take some different options along the way. Um, and I had a voice and I do think if I, if it would have been my daughter instead of me, like she wouldn't have had options because I wouldn't let her risk her life. You yeah. know, you, you, you don't let children risk their lives. And, and, you know, sure. My parents could say to me, you know, that they wanted me to, you know, have another round of chemo or whatever. But at the end of the day, I was 40, you know, and I got to have my own, you know, like my own voice, you know. And yeah. um, so I wasn't, uh, you know, that that at first I was like, I don't want big surgery because it's my face, you know. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm still, I'm still hoping to date again one day. You know, I had primary school age children at home, so I wasn't dating. But you, in, in, in that clinic, I even said at one point, oh, all those engagements I knocked back in my life. I, I would have like locked something in, man, if I knew this was coming up. You know, I should have locked something down years ago, you know. So that's, you know, like I was still, you know, like had a good sort of, you know, because they were talking about, you know, cutting me down the middle of my chin down to the, my neck and, and peeling my face off. And Obviously, there's no option. So um, just so that everyone uh, that doesn't can't see what's happened, but I actually had my lower left jaw removed, um, which you know you just don't realise that includes your gums and your teeth and your your jaw, your jawbone, and all the nerves that come in there, and all the muscle and uh, yeah. So when they talked about that, they talked about cutting me from my top, from my bottom lip, sorry, down to my neck. So a vertical cut incision down that way and then cut the jaw away. And I, in the first clinic, I didn't, I, I was like, that's horrific, you know, and I was terrified and yeah, I, I just went, this is a horror story, you know. And then we're going to cut a piece of your leg out and put that bone from your leg um, into your face. And I'm like, oh, how does it, how does that work? Like, is it a different shape? You know, your leg your leg is straight and your your face is curved and you know I, I couldn't really get my head around I, I thought it was amazing I was amazed by the what how they were going and I was like can't you just like 3d print a jaw and and I'll just That's and actually I, was, coming. I watched a lecture on it <laughs> yeah coming coming yeah yeah um so yeah so the um yeah, I was thinking, imagining all these scars and all this trauma and everything. And, you know, it's pretty comical that I was thinking a couple of weeks ago, I didn't want a tooth out. And now I'm sitting in a clinic while they're talking about taking half my, you know, a quarter, sorry, of my jaw. So the whole, and, you know, halfway across my face. So, um, yeah, I did go home and do some research then and found out that it can be taken. There's three different locations to find the donor bone. So, you, it doesn't have to be, um, and and you know, and I did some research on which bone is the best, and and also like which incision is the best. I also googled people who'd had mandibulectomies. Don't do that. 
that's a horror show. Yeah. Like, um, that was a big mistake. I wished I didn't do that. Um, and this is why they say don't doctor Google. But um, I, I think this is when Google you do. Like, I didn't Google it before the diagnosis. I think after diagnosis, it's good to be informed. So I understand, yeah. like, before diagnosis, then it was good that I was in that couple of weeks of, of, um, of denial. denial. You know, because I had no, not a, I wasn't worried about it at all. And I didn't Google it, you know, apart from that. So where did they end up taking the bone from for you? I, I actually had to go with another surgeon um, yeah. and he, who could do it. So, you know, it's also who, who who's available at that hospital. I had a brilliant hospital. Um, yeah. So I was at the PA hospital in Brisbane and they are amazing apart from that head and neck surgeon that I had to stay with all that time and I never developed a relationship with him throughout the whole thing. But um, but he, uh, that guy saved my life. So, yeah. you know, you've got to be grateful. And um, and I, I think, you know, that, yeah, the, um, they took the, the piece out from my, from my hip. They didn't cut me down the middle of my chin so and, and and I remember in one of the clinics, so I think it might have been the next clinic. So the next week I was at a clinic again. So basically what happens is that's the first time they all see the file in that first clinic. And then so they all don't really have any answers. They're really just learning, sort of learning, yeah, about it. Then they go and do research on osteosarcoma and, and, and the protocol, you know, more thoroughly. And then the next week you go and you, you meet a whole bunch. You You meet the the maxillofacial surgeon, you meet the plastic surgeons, you meet the head and neck surgeons and um, oncology and radiology and all of that, all in the same day. You literally just go room to room to room. It goes all day. My mum and my sister-in-law came to that and um, and my sister-in-law just took millions of notes. Uh, she was great, you know. Um, she took so many um, notes because I was just talking, you know, uh, the whole time. I always recommend when someone has any sort of important medical appointment that you take a, a second person with you because person, there's so much emotion involved and it's very hard. You can easily walk out of appointments and think, what did we just say? What happened then? So you need someone that just scribes and just writes down and can and do that because it's very hard as as the patient to actually walk out and retain that information in such a stressful time. Oh, and, and, and to take the notes yourself, you know, like I can, every time you walk in to remember the names of all your doctors, you know, yeah. you know like um, and what their role is going to be, you know. So, you know, and I've got my notebook of what I want, you know, my wish list, you know, because I was like, no, I don't want to get that surgery done um, because I want to have a quality of life afterwards because you know, they could potentially have to take tongue and things like that, you know, and I'm like, I will, I will never sign a thing, you know, and um, uh, so, you know, I, I just remember being just quite argumentative and my poor mum just sitting there thinking, oh, my God, you're so rude. And I'm like, I don't care, <laughs> you know, how rude I, I'm coming across. I've, I've, I've got, you know, this is what, I, this is my voice. I know that you would just do whatever they said. You'd have let them cut you down the middle of your face, you know, like they first said, but that's not me so yeah they um 
And I, even at one point, like it was getting so heated that, and I, I wish I remembered which surgeon did it, but it was right at the beginning of it and I can't remember who it was. But he actually, because, you know, they're saying they're not going to do it. They're not going to, um, they won't, they won't and I won't find a surgeon who will um, a, agree to do less, uh, you know, to do a lesser less surgery. Because I've got the oncologist there, so I'm saying, yeah, but can't you do up the chemo and get the, you know, less cancer, and then they don't have to cut so much? Because one thing that I'd read was like, and and I believe now in all my surgeons love to cut, and you and you're they a um, what do you call you know like you are part of their um, uh, what do you call it again? Where um, case you know like sorry. You're part of their case studies? Yeah, their list of who, who lives and yeah. who dies. What do you call that again? You know, I'm not a, uh, you know. You're the part of their statistics. Yeah, I'm not one of your statistics. I'm a person, you know, yeah. and, and if I and and if I die, I die. Like I said, if, if I die, I die because of my risks that I chose to take. But I won't not have a quality of life after this. And I just, I just had a. At the beginning, I just didn't have any fear of dying at first, you know, like it wasn't until I was, until I almost died a couple of times that I thought, would well, it be really good if I don't die from this, you know, but, um, you know, and, and also I, I had to think of those two children that I fostered who'd lost their mum and dad. So they were orphans already. They'd lost um, their mum and dad and, you know, they just couldn't lose another parent, you know, um, I couldn't, I, in, you know, I didn't even really see them much through the treatment. Like I couldn't, um, I didn't want them to be afraid of that, you know, because most kids, they don't think their mum and dad are ever going to die, you know, but these kids know that mums and dads die, you know. So, um, yeah, so I, it was really, that was important to me, but also having a quality of life, like having my tongue cut out, I, I, would, I just was never going to sign for that. Yeah. Um, I guess now, like, I shouldn't say I was never going to sign for that, but I would never sign for that as a first go-to. Like, I would yeah. be like, no, let's cut this first, and then if if it turns out I still have cancer, then we think about the t cutting the tongue and and everything like that. So yeah, um, and yeah. So uh, so what I was saying was that this surgeon would put his hands on my shoulders from behind me and face these other doctors because it was just you know. Um, getting so heated and he said hey, guys or I don't know what he said doctors or whatever uh, um, uh, I just want you to re to meet your patient her name is Teresa and she is scared okay and you know and um, it just it just reset the room it reset yeah. me because I was getting frustrated and, and, and running my mouth over stuff I didn't know what I was talking about at the time and um and and they were just being steadfast, telling me that you know um, these are the options. And, and and it turned out, you know, I met another surgeon, and um, and that's not to say that there was anything wrong with that first surgeon. And to be honest, he he actually left that hospital, so I don't know if I would have had the option of swapping surgeons. Yes. And I don't know that that it's just, that's just what just happened. Changed changed it changed surgeons. Uh, because that surgeon left that hospital, so I, I was changing surgeons anyway, and um, 
and he said that he thought that the best um, donor bone was from the hip. Um, yeah. So, look, I, I'm on a support group now with osteosarcoma, which I, I wish I had a been on um and i know a lot of them will listen to this podcast because you know uh, i'll share it with them uh, and these osteosarcoma warriors i mean uh they didn't get me through my trip unfortunately i didn't find them until after uh un until after all of my treatments but the aftercare support that i got from them um and there's a couple of them you know in the state mostly in the states um, but they're from all over the world, um, a Facebook group, face, a couple of Facebook groups. And um, and they just were um, amazing to talk about, you know, because of all the side effects and things like yeah. that. But out of our whole group, um, you know, I think my face, I think they won't be upset to, to, to hear me say that. I think my face is the second best of all of the um, surgeries. So uh, as in... Uh, at, as in, you know, like the plastic surgery side of it, um, we it all has been remarkable. Yeah, yeah, we're all living with um, what surgery's done to our faces, and um, and I'm really grateful because it's actually nothing as bad as I thought it was going to turn out. You know, like I said, this is the second best that I've seen. There's only one other lady in the states who. Um, whose face I look at and go, man, you can't even tell you had a mandibulectomy, uh, you know, like your surgeon is amazing, you know, so. Uh, so when you had your surgery, I remember, because I remember I remember it, um, like Jarrett going up, how long, you were in induced coma to begin with? I no, remember. they had told me that they were going to induce a coma. Um, yeah. Surgery went for 18 hours. That's, yeah, 18 they, hours is huge. Oh, uh, look. You go to the pre-op and this the way that I describe it is that you know, go to pre-op nearly a week before your surgery, it's like knowing you're gonna be in a horrific, painful car accident a week before you're in it. It's yeah. torturous. It is so torturous because you know that you're gonna wake up with a tracheotomy. You know that you're gonna wake up with a broken hip and a broken face. You know, so you it's like knowing that you're about to be in a horrific accident a week before you're in it. So that week was, yeah, it, it really was hell emotionally. Um, you know, there wasn't a lot of sleep that week. And it really was everything as bad as I thought it would be waking up from that surgery. So in the pre-op a week before the surgery, they told me that they would, uh, that in fact they said it would be inhumane to... Um, for me to wake up from that because you, you know um but and they said that they would for a day or two keep me in a coma and i was like i'm all about the coma guys like <laughs> you know like let me like wake up when this is over you know i yeah. don't want to wake up and um it wasn't until on the morning um and you know all of my family came with me that morning you know it's a risky operation and yeah um but they had to, obviously, they could come through. And then the, so you don't see the anaesthetist until, you know, after everyone's gone. So you're completely alone without any support. And that was when they told me that, um, no, 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 we're going to wake you up. Like, we that's too dangerous. We're going to wake you up. And I was like, where's that anaesthetist that I spoke to on Monday? Because um, he said I could sleep through this, you know, and um, 
yeah. And it, it was really, really, um, yeah, really awful, really bad time um, to wake up with the tracheotomy and um, just to not be able to communicate where it hurts. I had, um, I felt like I was drowning. They did make a couple of mistakes in ICU. They had me laid down flat. I felt that I was drowning and the nurse was just really harsh, like, because I'm riding on the board, you know, can't breathe. And um, she's writing to me. She's saying to me, Teresa, look, your, your oxygen levels are normal, are good. You know, you've got good oxygen levels. And I'm like, well, nevertheless, I, and I just, I shouldn't be able to remember this, but I just remember it so well because I was so traumatised. Mm. Uh, then they, um, you know, uh, so she was saying, and also I was saying there's something in my eye. My eye really hurts. So there's something in my eye. And so she was flushing it out and then saying, well, there's nothing in there. And I kept on writing it on the board. There's something in my eye. And anyway, eventually the surgeon arrived and said, sit her up a bit. And then as soon as they sat me up a bit, um, I didn't feel like I was drowning anymore. So I was like, wow. And I just, even then, like this whole system has just... <laughs> you know, just pissed me off along the way, all the way. So that nurse, not, and I'm like, even as drugged up as I was, I was like thinking, man, you're an ICU nurse. You should know how to treat a tracheotomy patient, you know? Yeah. So I, I was pissed about that. Um, how long did you spend in ICU? Only a few days. So I, I can't remember exactly how many days, but, um, you know, less than a week that I was in um, ICU before I was on the ward. Um, and then, you know, I had the tracky in for, you know, a, a little bit longer. And so when I woke up, so my teeth, my, my face was, um, jaw, uh, wide shut. Oh. And, um, so they had it all wide. And I just remember thinking how we, and, and, and it was so swollen. I'll actually, I'll share a photo, um, of post-search. So we actually had this board where we were writing. So a white, on my whiteboard, I'd write day one you know and like i've got this photo of me holding it up like i'm okay guys you know and then um and then day one and i think i i can't remember because it was you know five years ago but um i think that we'd go day one and then i wrote who my visitors were that day well nobody visited me the first few days except for family because i was in icu and uh but um yeah and and then I'd hold it up and then, you know, and then put a photo. And Jared actually, so my brother actually, um, who flew up, so uh, he, he flew up for my surgery and um, and he actually started a Facebook group because I, I hadn't even really told anybody um, what was, you know, much about it. No, I didn't share it on Facebook or you know, I, I think when I was about halfway through my chemo rounds, um, I couldn't, I had some people that knew and they were writing to me and I couldn't even really respond. I really wanted people to write to me and really say, you know, uh, and, and really talk to me, but I couldn't read them because of the nausea and the, you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't look at screens. So I couldn't yeah. watch TV. I couldn't read, you know, um, so yeah, I, I actually had uh, Kim. I had that for that my one of my oldest friends um, put a Facebook post on saying, "Look, guys, Teresa's been in the middle of treatment for um, osteosarcoma," and so for a lot of people that was the way that they. A lot of my friends that was the way they found out, and I kind of felt a bit bad about that. But yeah, that when you're diagnosed from diagnosis, apart from that 
week of mucking around, which let's from the false start diagnosis to the actual, you know, a week later where they said, let's go think. I mean, I had a lot of things to do. I had to pack my, with garage sales to raise money. Um, I did in there, a friend of mine, um, same friend, Kim Chi, a, a group of friends and I, uh, we did photo shoot. That's right. We all got dressed up and, you know, and got pretty wasted and we did a big fancy photo shoot because, you know, like I was never going to look like that ever again. So, uh, yeah, that was her, you know, so we so we had that night away. We had garage sale, packing the house. Uh, you know, I just didn't really have time to have long talks to people. So really whoever was local to me knew, but and I've got good friends that were not local to me. And I did feel bad about that, but um, about them finding out on Facebook, which sounds lame, but I didn't know that I was ever going I thought that I'd just tell people after the treatment. I, I just, you know, I so naive the whole way through about how life-changing this whole thing was going to be. Um, and then yeah. how long have you started chemo after? So you've had the surgery. When does the chemo start? Part I did the chemo first. So okay. I had the chemo done. I had the chemo. So within the, after the second clinic, it was like a week and I was on yeah. chemo. Um, yeah. So I yeah. actually had the first round of chemo. I was still at, in my, packing my house. And I remember, you know, the first round people coming and saying to me, you know, like my uh, niece came, she, she was like 18 or something at the time and said, um, how do you feel? And I said, it's a little bit like the flu, I guess, you know, I guess, you know, and um, yeah, but in the first round, I immediately got an infection. Like I think I, I was just doing fine. I was packing the house up, you know, um, and was rushed to hospital into isolation. Um, yeah. And I almost died in the first week. It was almost like a complete false start. Like I, I, you know, um, I was having, um, blood transfusions and just trying to I, I don't even really remember those few days that I was in um in hospital with that first infection um so yeah I pulled an infection straight away the chemo was brutal it was just absolutely the most brutal thing I've ever ever I'm like how many rounds did you do before surgery I did three rounds and um you're supposed to do six, but halfway through the third round, they um, came and spoke to me and said um, that the tumor had progressed. So you, you you're getting big, you're getting lots of scans along the way, yeah. you know, because also um, getting lots of um, I can't think of my words tonight, but um, you know, it, uh, echoes and that on the heart because the chemo is just it's. You know, um, it has lots of side effects, uh, this this chemo. And, you know, you get these anti-nausea drugs. Well, I call them anti-vomit because there's no anti-nausea. This the <laughs> nausea. It's like, it, it, you know, I described it as like being on the Gravitron and you can't get off. And, and, and not for like five or ten minutes, like for hours and hours and hours. And even while you sleep, the giddiness wakes you up like you're still on the Gravitron. And you're like, well, I'm still on this Gravitron. And, you know, I had several, several days in a row of that um, a couple of times where it would just go for, you know, a day and a half of that feeling. And um, I'd be like, I can't, you just be convinced that one of the millions of drugs you're taking, you know, is making it worse. Yeah. You know, you go, no, no, that I don't want to take that one. That one's making it worse. 
the undead. And I'm thinking, maybe if I don't take the anti-nausea, like I could just vomit and I'd just feel better. So I'm like, I'm not going to, they don't want you to vomit because they don't want you to lose weight and you need those calories, right? You need that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So they. Know, sometimes that feeling of if I throw up, it's going to make me feel better. Like it, you really do get that feeling sometimes like that will be the and you're thing. on these drugs that don't let you vomit you know so yeah. i'm like i don't want to take that on dancertron today like i'm not taking it you know um I, I need to vomit you know i just need to throw up and and i'm going to feel bad but it didn't it never did so you know it just um it was the chemo making me feel like that none of the other drugs you know so you pick and choose which drugs and then you're on painkillers that are making you constipated as well and uh it just um I, uh, I, I actually, one day I wanted to go to the shops and I actually fell and I snapped my knee. So then I was crawling. So I needed surgery on my knee as well after the chemo. Um, you can't get surgery while you're having chemo because, you know, there has to be a recovery period. Yeah. So I actually had to wait for that surgery on my knee as well. Yeah, I passed out in a Westfield, in the middle of the Westfield and um, smashed my knee into the things. I just... I just was stir, going so crazy and wanted to go out. And, um, yeah, so, it, yeah, it was awful. But, um, yeah, so um, I was halfway through the chemo. I was like, you remember when I said, can I have more chemo and less surgery? I've, I scratched that, cut my whole face off. I don't care. No more chemo, please. <laughs> you know, like, take all my teeth. <laughs> I've changed my mind, yeah. And and unfortunately, the chemo had no success. In fact, once they took the tumor, so the tumor was progressing and um, they call it necrosis. So once they took the tumor out, it actually had less than 3% necrosis, which is like unheard of. I, I, it really stressed me out because this is a real comebacky kind of cancer for it to not come back is rare. So um, it's a real recurring cancer. It's aggressive it's hard to survive um and um yeah so i was like um terrified when they told me the necrosis because i thought when this comes back how are we going to treat it then mm. the chemo doesn't work and you there's nothing else to cut out you know like the bone is not there anymore i'm not going to get it back in that bone because the, that's my hip bone now and it doesn't have cancer because it came from a whole nother site. So, you know, I was really frightened um, by that stage, fear, you know, I, I, I'd say after the second second, um, second, and they wanted me to do, and it, it was December. So, yeah, they, the doctor comes in and says, oh, you know, you're a nurse or a doctor, was a fellow I think came in and told me that it's progressed. And um, I was like, um, oh, that's, doesn't sound like good news. <laughs> what's the plan now? And they were like, well, you know, we'll talk to you about what the plan is. And I'm like, well, I want this infusion. Stop it right now. I want it out. <laughs> like stop infusing me with this poison that's making me so sick. And the nurses were just like, no, 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 we have to wait. So get someone special. And I'm like, no, no, I'm the someone special. I'm, I'm saying take it out, you know. Oh, hurry up, get the oncologist, then let's find out, you know, can I get it out? I didn't finish that round of chemo. They, um, But they were like, oh, no, you, it's Christmas. We can't get a team of surgeons because you need, you know, a maxillofacial surgeon. It's a team. It's a massive, you know, 18-hour surgery, you know. Oh, we can't get that team together because it's Christmas, you, you know. And um, 
you can't do nothing while you wait a couple of months for this surgery. Well, we can't do this surgery until February and March, you know, and this was in December. And I'm like, what? No way. You can't wait those months, you know, and, um, and I remember just being really panicked about that news on that day and I'm sitting, I actually had a bed. Normally you get your chemo in a chair and I think, you know, I was sitting there getting infused for a whole day for five days in a row and then you'd have two weeks off and then five days in a row of infusion and then two weeks off. And um, on this day I was so sick I actually got a bed, which was rare because it was only a few beds. Everyone else is in chairs because we're all surviving this now, right? So <laughs> chemo. It's like, it's like sheep being herded in there to get their chemo. And um, and I was I actually did have a bed that day, which was good. And the surgeon, that this guy comes in and says to me, um, I said, oh, I can't wait until February or March to get the surgery. And he goes, well, what would you have me do, Teresa? Cancel somebody else's surgery and, like, just, um, like, give you their slot? I'm like, dude, don't put the... Pr- you're the one that books the surgeries. You knew I was going to need this surgery, regardless of whether this tumour progressed or not. You needed to get this team together. This is not on me that you now are saying to me that I have to wait months and months. This team needed to be put together regardless. Mm. You know, whether now it's, yeah, I just I just remember thinking how disgusting, yeah. you know. Um, I love how you've advocated for yourself. Like yeah. That's, phenomenal because most people will just like respond to a doctor like oh okay I'm sorry I you know like you you were so strong and continued to advocate yourself even when you were going through so much so again kudos to you for that well you know it it, it's fear is so close to anger you know and and like I said at the beginning I wasn't scared because I was naive one about the I, I just um started it so brave um and yeah it broke me i was sure it wasn't going to and um yeah i i remember when you when rachel and Jarrett were telling me her um her brother and his ex-partner they were telling me that you'd been diagnosed and they remember them saying to me she's a bit blasé about it and i remember saying to them no 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 no. tell her there's nothing to be blasé about like I'm going to Jerry. I know you I'm couldn't. I was very biased. And Jerry's telling me, "Oh, she wants to get a second opinion." I'm like, "Tell her to go there right now." <laughs> <laughs> I did. Um, I did go and get a second opinion, and that yeah. surgeon was like, "When I met the second surgeon, I was like, sent all the stuff, and I went to a private hospital." That was the other thing. I didn't want to get it done at a public hospital. You know, I was like, "No, no, I have top private cover," and um. <laughs> You know, um, I'm going to get this done privately. And they're like, there's not a private hospital in the country that can handle this. Um, no, there isn't. <laughs> you, need to, you need to be, uh, you, you you are with the best team. And and, and I really was. And I, I do kind of regret not realising it um, while I was there. Uh, that I, and I, No, I did realise it. You know, even after my surgery, you know, I remember once I could speak, once they pulled the trachea out, like, um, just saying, well, I think it's amazing. You definitely you've done an amazing job. Like, obviously, I'm still not going to be happy because it's not my face, and the, and it, and there's so much to live with now. Yeah. Um. You know. How but long was you eating again? Like, so you've had the surgery. Um, How long did you actually eat? Um. So it took. Um. Yeah, it was a while. I was on soft food yeah. for a very long time. I mean, I lost a 
huge amount of weight. Oh my, I was, um, yeah, I, I, I can't exactly remember, but it was a couple of, it was probably only less than a month before I was, uh, less than a few weeks before I was eating. Yeah, I, I, I had to eat before I could leave the hospital. Yeah. And I, because I remember asking them to stop putting all those calories in that feeding tube because it was making me feel so sick because I'd been through so much chemo and I hadn't been taking in that amount of calories. Um, I didn't want, it was making me feel sick again. And I, you know, there, there'd been quite a period of time. There'd been a couple of months between the last round of chemo and my surgery. So I hadn't been feeling that sick. I, I felt quite well going into it. I, I felt not recovered, but, you know, I felt yeah, quite well going into the surgery, yeah, healthy and um, and quite strong. And then, yeah, I didn't want all those calories in there. They were making me feel nauseous, just filling me up and just begging the nurses to slow that feeding tube down, just slow it down, please. It's making me feel so full and I can't, you know. Um, and there were a bunch of other things that happened in, the, in those weeks. And, um, you know, I remember saying when they took the wires off my teeth, um, so that would have been about a week or two after the surgery. They took the wires off, and I said to the surgeon, uh, "My my um, molars at the back here are not meeting. So on the right hand side, I still have both top and bottom teeth, right? So I was saying then they don't meet. Like how will they eat? They don't. They're not meeting anymore. And he goes, "Yeah, they may never." And I just remember thinking. You don't get to say that so blase. They may yeah. never. Like, what does that mean even? Does that mean I will never chew? For, you know, like, what does that mean? They may never meet. And, um, yeah, uh, what, but what did happen um, is that they had a, um, I eventually adjusted my jaw. So actually what's happened is that this hip bone here is this hip bone in my left jaw, bottom lower jaw is slightly bigger than the jaw, than the bone they cut out. So what's happened is my lower jaw has slightly rotated to the right, which yeah. means that rather than just being a, uh, what do you call this, Tabitha, where it pulls? Mandible. No, oh, no. Like yeah, you've got a bit of a can. I know what you mean. There's a can. Where your jaw is pulled across to the left yeah. or right, which some people have a crossbite. Yeah. Um, but rather than having that, it's been, it's rotated. So because it's rotated, that's why, so I can make my molars meet or I can make the front, what the, whatever these two, te whatever these yeah. teeth towards okay. the front are meet. But I can't make that whole row of teeth meet at the same time because of the rotation. I can't get it to rotate back. Yeah. So the I can all I can do is get my jaw pushed more to the left, but then meets and I can't eat. Or I do can you, do what I've done. Do yeah. you have to like TMD or TMJ issues now? Like do you have pain back there from the way that your jaw huge is amounts of pain, huge amounts of pain. I, actually just a few weeks ago, um and my daughter had to, oh, a few weeks ago, I guess it was a few months ago now, um, my daughter had to call an ambulance for me at night for a, a, a migraine. And, you know, I don't know if you guys know in the States, but we've got huge problems with um, hospital beds right now. I felt terrible for calling an ambulance for a doctor. It, but I get such horrific migraines from the pressure on these jaws. To have the yeah. lower jaw oversized now has put so much pressure and it actually puts more pressure on the side of the jaw where the surgery is not, I guess, because that's where it's getting pushed yeah. to. 
So that's the side where the migraines start. And, you know, it it's what's – I hadn't had a day off sick from work for five years before I was diagnosed with cancer. I'm not a poorly person. I hadn't had the flu I'm a little bit, I'm, I'm, I've always been a bit flaky and I've had, you know, episodes of depression um, before this. Um, you know, I was quite well at the time, so I wasn't in any episodes of depression going into it. And they were like, you know, you need to be on antidepressants for this. And I was like, mm, I've been on antidepressants before and I'm not sure, but, you know, they... I, I don't know whether that's part of the protocol to put people who are about to go through that, but it was a good call. So, you know, I was, um, it, you know, that's part of all those first appointments in that block. You When you get in your first bits of chemo and you're like going to millions of appointments, you know, and that was one of them, like where they talk about your um, mental health and everything. So I'm um, glad you did address that. What we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording and we talked a little bit about like what has been your has affected you mental health wise post treatment and dealing with that you know obviously during surgery it's intense and everyone's mental health is but i think for the listeners at home to realize how it affects you on that daily basis when you know all of us as dental clinicians are excited because you're alive and you made the statistic that we want we look at the surgery as a massive success because it's in our eyes this is clinically amazing but we sometimes forget to look at this from the human side of it because, you know, you had mentioned before we started filming, recording, that you don't look the way you used to. So that is a big thing for you where we look at it as you look amazing, but for you it's different. Yeah, totally. And I, I remember the word I was trying to think of before, the KPIs, where I was telling that surgeon, I'm not one of your KPIs, you know, like where they need to make sure that they're, that they're you know, um, patient doesn't die because it's not going to look yeah. good for their KPIs. And I'm like, I'm not one of your KPIs. I'm, I'm Teresa and I want to, yeah. you know, have a quality of life after, but they, um, and I'm not saying that I wouldn't, like I would have done anything. I didn't want to die. I would have, I would have done anything to survive. But I think initially I was thinking, let's try something less drastic than cutting half my face off. And then see, you know, and, and like yeah. I said, and I've admitted now that that first appointment is also just running your mouth because you're afraid and also you don't know. And to be honest, they didn't know on that at that time in that first thing. So, uh, but yeah, the, the, what you live with afterwards and, and how the, the stress of it. So, um, you know, there's definitely PTSD in it um, that appointments and hospitals they and you know what we were talking about before the appointment was that I'll probably cry because whenever I talk about this stuff or go to an appointment just the most basic ridiculous appointment um of which I just had millions particularly in the first 12 months after it I'll just cry I just couldn't help it it would just be like a um and it wouldn't matter what my feeling was so I didn't have to be upset to cry I could be feeling it agitated tired annoyed anything it was a physiological response would be tears and snot and i'd be like just take no notice of my tears and still you know and i was I, i've always been you know happy to cry you know at the drop of a hat but this was something else you know this was like this you know um 
real response of just tears, even when I feel completely fine and sunshiny inside and mm. um, and thinking, man, I need to not be crying. Because one thing that probably delayed my um, any surgery afterwards, uh, you know, being put back together, um, one thing that sort of delayed that was my emotional response because I think that they thought, I wasn't tough enough to handle another one of these surgeries, you know. So when they talk about doing a reconstruction and, you know, I want this bone that's too big, I want it, you know, I want this scar that's across my neck peeled back up. I understand it's going to come back with a tracheotomy. I understand, but, you know, I want it back. Um, I want gone with these headaches that disrupt my life. Um, and I want my smile back you know, and I'll never have my smile back because when they take that jaw away, it takes the muscle and the nerves and everything that makes you smile. And what we said before um, we started recording was that I was so upset about that because I was um, like, um, you know, your smile is what lets other people know you're friendly and approachable. And, you know, I'm such a social person or I was before cancer, and I still am, but I'm I'm a shell of the person I was before cancer. You know, I was just, you know, uh, yeah, it's just changed. My whole lifestyle has changed so much um, because my confidence has been attacked. And I also I don't have any feelings. So, you know, I'm still single, so I still want to date, you know, and... So there's the appearance and, like, at what point, like, everyone dates off apps now. So at what point do I say my smile is crooked? Because you can't see it in a photo because I'm super careful about that, that, you know, I know exactly how to smile so that people don't um, see a see um, what the bottom lower part of my face looks like. Um, and... So there's at what point do I say, by the way, when you meet me, I have, you know, like my face pulls to one side. Um, so I don't say anything. I don't know what that's like. I have, I, and, but, but it, it stopped me from dating completely because I was like, didn't have the confidence to. Um, and then, um, and then also, I don't have any sensation on my lip. So it's saying goodbye to the feeling of a kiss, the sensation of kissing. So that really important part of affection, um, you know, is gone forever. I'll never feel what it's like to be kissed again, you know. Um, and that's just, that's, yeah, it, that's hard to accept. That there's, you know, and there's nothing that can be done. I mean, the nerve runs straight through. And that's things that people don't think about, you know. And I have got to say, and I did say before that the dental nurses are my favourite people through the whole of this because um, while I'm sitting in the chair bawling my eyes out to some other poor surgeon or dentist or prosthodontist or, you know, whoever I'm seeing that day, um, you know, it's always the dental nurse that says, oh, but sweetheart, you're, you've got such a beautiful smile, you know, and 
and I know they mean well and I actually appreciate the sentiment and I know some people go oh that's so you know like dismissive but I don't find I don't find that so that still puts your position really hard because is it being dismissive of the fact that I don't think that it's and I've got all of my friends as well that say I can't even tell and you know and some people that didn't know me before that say you know oh i I wouldn't have even known that you had all of that, you know. But um, but I I th that's a bit dismissive because I I I feel like it's really obvious, you know. Like mm -hmm. I feel like it's very obvious, and um, uh, obviously they don't know that. I also can't feel it. I also don't have any bottom teeth on that side or front mm -hmm. bottom teeth, so I can't take a bite of an apple or buy anything actually that you need. To, your top and your bottom teeth to take a bite out of. So I need to put food on a fork first and then place it at the back of my, um, place it in between the molars that do touch so that I can eat and chew food. Um, you know, so for a long time as well, because I can't feel my face, I and I still do sometimes, but not as often. Um, people need to tell me all the time I have food on my face because I don't feel that lip. So, you yeah. know, people say what it's like having a drink after they've had their lip numbed for a filling. But this is like that all the time, you know. So, um, yeah, it's it took a long time before my nervous or my, my habit fixed up so that when I take a drink, it doesn't just dribble down my face, you know. But sometimes there's still food on my face. I don't know that it's there because uh, I don't feel it. There's no sensation. So... Yeah, and nobody they can say, Oh well you still look you still look pretty. Um, but yeah, I don't and and that's the other thing, my so my face like my the corner of my lips because of the nerve, like faces down now in a resting position instead of slightly up. So, you know, I felt like and I don't think that I was an oil painting before all of this started, but um and I'm, and I'm not a very vain person, you know, like I w wasn't like the kind of person that would look in a mirror and go, oh, my God, look how big my pores are. You know, I'm not one of these people who, you know, and some people need so much done to their face to, you know, be able to look in the mirror in the morning. I'm not like that. I just want my smile back. I just want my teeth and my smile back, you know, and, um, and I'll be that person that I was before. I don't want a facelift. I don't want my lips done. I don't want... You know, I just want what I had before. And I know I'll never have it. And, you know, but I don't want my surgeons to give up on me yet. You know, I want them to keep striving. And that's the problem because, um, and Tabitha, you you know my uh, Professor Howe, who's just brilliant amazing. in Sydney, yeah. amazing, um, really friendly guy um, who's my prosthodontist in Sydney. And he... Um, he just lets me cry, you know, like he just lets me cry and he's really not, and he, he feels it. You know, I recently had some bolts put in uh, at Chris, at the Chris O'Brien Lifehouse and um, two of them failed. And, um, and I remember the morning of the surgery and this makes a difference. This is the thing that makes a difference. And that professor gave me his personal mobile number so you know I, I text him let him know I'm having my surgery tomorrow and he says oh I'm going to pop down there 
And I said, you're going to be there? And he's like, yeah, I'm going to hold your hand till you go till you go out. And he did. Like, he wasn't a part of that, you know. He's, he's an amazing guy. He yeah. is, and he's the only one in this whole journey that I've met that's anything like that. So I don't want to, like, make people feel, like, all cosy and warm that that's what it's like because it isn't. Like, it's it's one arrogant surgeon after another, that one person with bad bedside manner after another, just heartless people from wall to wall. It's, um, it's, it's, it's torturous. Um, but, um, but this guy is not like that. He's a good guy. And yeah. And then actually two of the bolts failed and I was just devastated. This was just a few weeks ago. And, uh, yeah. And I was in that, um, head and neck, um, surgeon's office who who are up, who who's fairly new to the team and um fairly new to my team not the not, not what team, but fairly new to me uh, but he did do my surgery with the bolts to try and that and that will put the teeth in well it didn't work and um yeah and he called dale you know he he, he called dale and said yeah i've got quite an upset girl here and he was like oh my of course she's upset you know and yeah, it was really good. Um, but then they they put the teeth in where I had front teeth for the first time in forever for, you know, in five years um, the other day, a couple of weeks ago. And um, unfortunately what keeps on happening because I don't have any sensation in my lip, when the teeth went in, the lip just keeps on folding in on top of the teeth. So without the other bolt, the other two bolts, yeah. the molars go, um, it just won't work. So uh, we have to wait till that bone heals. It shattered the bone in the that hip bone that was there. And, um, and yeah, and so I was pretty, I was pretty down about that. Yeah, it put me back in that, you know. But the thing is when, this is five, they've been going on for five years, you know, yeah. so um in my day-to-day -day life, I'm not emotional about it, you know. I don't look in the mirror every morning and go, no, oh, cancer, you had that cancer, you know. Um, it's just when I have to have a scan done or I have to have another appointment. And there still are a lot of appointments and there'll still be more surgeries and there'll still be more reconstruction. So, you know. That I feel sorry for, you know, like I, I just had to go to the, I had to get a filling, you know, just when I had my teeth cleaned and that's when it's, you know, like obviously they can see. I, I kind of feel proud when I go there because like they can see when they look and I'm, uh, I am I told Tab the formless, I'll send you a picture of uh, my latest OPG so that you can put that up as well because it's pretty amazing to see an OPG with half a jaw missing. Um, but it's... I feel quite proud, you know, when I go to my um, dentist and think, you know, and they see it because they like, well, you've been through some here. <laughs> and, um, but regardless of that, I feel proud and quite happy to be there. And I'm like, yeah, have a look at this. This is, this is pretty amazing. Um, I, I'm crying and I, it's just so embarrassing. You know, I'm embarrassed by it because, um, I feel like it just makes everyone in the room uncomfortable unnecessarily and, you know, it just... Um, so no, as I, the, the dental professionals listening at home, 
what can we do when you come for that clean or you come for that filling? What would make you feel, because obviously there's a level of PTSD here for you and that's what we have to recognise, that you've mm. gone through something quite traumatic and you're coming in as a traumatised patient. How can we help someone that's been through things like that to make you feel more at ease and more comfortable? I think it's just going to be different from patient to patient. So I don't think there is a real answer that, you know, I could tell you what could they, what they do for me that make, you know, is the best response. And that's for me, but I definitely hear from other people um, in the support group that, um, that want something else. So that's the hard thing for you guys. You have to read the person's personality, you know, like I'm, I kind of like to joke through it, awkward jokes, you know, like, and, um, and, you know, like, not that anybody ever has, but, you know, I'd rather be mocked for being a sook, you know, like, um, come on, it's been five years, you know. We're never going to say that. <laughs> of course not. Of course not. But, you know, that's what I mean. But, but I do, um, but, you know, like, sometimes I just say, you just have to dismiss that. It's so awkward. You know, I'll just go, oh, I'm sorry, that's so awkward. And I think that they can just tell from my personality that I'm not terrible, I'm not actually terribly upset despite that I'm crying. But it's also really hard for me as the patient to portray that I'm not very upset because you're not talking. You've yeah. got yeah. your mouth open and you're crying. So you right. look very upset. You know, um, when they had to pull those bolts out, so, you know, the poor dental nurse, she said to me, she and I'm, she totally didn't mean it, but she said to me, um, she didn't know me, she'd never met me, and um, she, um, he, the, the surgeon was seeing someone else. I wasn't intending to pull those bolts out that day. It was just a, um, a checkup. In fact, I actually saw the surgeon. I, I actually was ringing that surgeon over and over saying, this is not right. I'm in so much pain. There's massive... Um, pus filled there was massive cysts yeah that's not normal four yeah. four giant like the size of like a stonker you know like bigger than a marble but smaller than a golf ball um yeah. four of those giant cysts in my uh where they yeah. put the bolts in right and it was a long surgery they told me it didn't go well they didn't even come and see me after my surgery actually it was like four oh, hours surgery putting those bolts in and because it had been it was only meant to be oh no I think it was sorry it was six hours, meant to be two to three hours, and it went for six hours. Um, and they, um, yeah, I was like, this isn't right. And, you know, and Dale went to Chris O'Brien, Tabitha, well, everyone, you know, and actually came and saw me on Good Friday. So it was Good Friday, and I texted him the photo inside my mouth and, like, this doesn't feel, uh, is this right? Should What should I be doing right now? How am I supposed to be, what's the aftercare on this? Like no one came to see me after my surgery. I'm not even, not sure on the aftercare here, you know, um, a week after. I knew what the aftercare was for the following few days, but I didn't know like a week later, am I supposed to be brushing these bolts or what am I supposed to be doing now? And um, and he was like, oh, I want to I see you at Chris O'Brien on Good Friday at the hospital where there was nobody, you know, in a clinic. I'm like, no way, no way am I coming there on Good Friday. Like, there's no chance. I, I'm, I only sent you the photos to say, should I go to a GP and get another round of antibiotics because I'm finished that round and I think I need more, you know, and um, that's all the reason that I sent you the photo. There's no way we're all going traipsing over to the hospital on Good Friday, but 
no, he was insistent. So um, I went there and um, and he, he dragged this poor fellow in there as well to meet me. And they, and they didn't know how to write a script. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, they just did it. They, and they were like, yeah, looks like the infection's still going. But another week after that I could see it wasn't right. And what had happened was the bone had um, was the splinters of the bone were splintering off, causing those massive tumors, uh, massive um, things, so cysts. And um, so that surgeon decided that day, oh, when I went in there, he said, let's try this. I, I come back in a few days, we're going to cut those out. And then did, did an OPG and saw that it was the bone. Because I said, there's all white things coming out as well, bits of plastic. It was actually bone. <laughs> I thought it was bits of plastic because they put this plastic mould on after the surgery. Anyway, um, so he did that. He, it was traumatic. The amount of blo- the amount of bleeding and the, I, I was heaving, crying in this chair. Like, <gasps> and this poor dental nurse before she before we started the procedure, she said, "Oh, you get a spare extra procedure here for the for nothing." And I was like, "Oh, you don't realize that this is a really bad procedure I'm about to get done. This is this means it failed. This yeah. means I'm not getting the teeth I've waited five years for, you know." And um, so I actually just unleashed on her about how how frustrated I was, not with her, but with the um, everything, with the five, the fact that I, I was annoyed. I actually I, I was very annoyed with that surgeon that day because I thought that the fact that they weren't returning my calls or listening to me, even though I was texting photos of the cysts, that like this bone had you know deteriorated unnecessarily you know, that the, these bolts should have come out a week earlier. I'd been, you know, and um, so I was annoyed and I just told her, you know, like your boss has just ruined my life. No, I didn't say that. But, you know, like, um, you know, that that, that I, I've been let down just again. Well, what else should I expect now? I've been I've been in the system five years now. I knew 10 days into it I was going to get let down by this whole process. But um, yeah. this is just another thing, you know, and, you um, and I think she 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 felt so bad, and um, she she felt so bad for me. And during the procedure, it was so traumatic the amount of blood and the amount of like uh, physical um, force, like getting this getting these things off, cutting these things out, and I don't know what he was doing to the bone, smoothing it off or something. I don't know what he was doing because I don't feel anything. But I felt you know I felt I was being jerked around. I. Also felt this is then because she was the nurse. She, the actual most painful part of that whole procedure was her with the suction pulling my lip away like that, and I was like, "That's what's hurting me right now." So all this, and I was heaving, crying, so, <gasps> with my mouth open, and they, this guy was just going for it. He was like, "Well, I wasn't meant to be doing this procedure, and I was meant to be at dinner like half an hour ago, and you know, like I'm not." This procedure is not even meant to be happening today, so I'm not pausing or or taking any time out for how messed up you are by I'm just pushing through all of this, you know, which was pretty crazy, I thought. Um, and she, the, even, the, you know, afterwards I'd say all this gauze in my face. This was just literally like a month ago and I had all this thing in my face and I, I just I just stood up and I just said, I don't know like that. I don't know like that at all, you know, and, 
And, he, you know, the surgeon's like, yeah, that was really intense, right? And the, the poor dental nurse, she was just in shock. You know, she was like, is someone going to come and get you now? And I'm like, no, because I just drove here because I didn't know that this was going to yeah. happen at this point, you know. So, it's, and um, she was like, you know, offered to take, go for a walk with me, which was just so lovely, you know. Like she said, should we go for a walk around the block and just get some fresh air? It's pouring rain outside. So not that I would have let her anyway. I was like, no, I need to just, you know, I just need to take a walk before I get behind the wheel. But, um, you know, um, and she was like, listen, you, you come and see me in five days, like no matter what, like here, look, because that was what my complaint was, that after my surgery of putting these four bolts in um, and I've waited five years for this surgery, there was no aftercare appointment booked. The surgeons didn't come and see me. So that's what I was angry about, you know, um, apart from the prosthodontist, who's the guy who makes the teeth, you know, like it's yeah. he's not the surgeon. He's not who should have seen me. Um, you but know, he is a guy who always steps up like that. He's, well, yeah. you know, even when, when I did see him and we, you know, we slept over there on Good Friday, like, what, I mean, I appreciate the, the sentiment, but what can he do? You know, he's a prosthodont. It's not his. He, he literally he took photos and sent it to the surgeon. That's what he did. You know, he could take proper oral photos to send yeah. to the surgeon, who then, who then, instead of like my iPhone in the mirror photos, who then went, oh yeah, we should see her. And like the the following, obviously it was Easter long weekend, so it took till a Tuesday to get a phone call to make an appointment for a Thursday or something like that, or whatever. No, I think it was the next day. I think it was pretty quick from there. So. Yeah, but this that's the thing, and I think that's one thing that you know, dental nurses they do sort of know that, um, that you guys are the only ones giving us any emotional support. You know, um, there's no the surgeon just doesn't have time, he's thinking about the next appointment, not the next appointment that he has, the next appointment with you, or the next step in your, in your what he needs to, you know, because he's got to book a whole bunch of appointments after you walk out, you know, for you. He's got to notify other surgeons and, you know, he's got a lot um, that he's he's thinking two steps ahead for my for my procedures, you know. And, yeah. and then he walks out and he's doing something and I'm in the room alone with the dental nurse who's saying, your face is so beautiful. <laughs> I think one of the big themes, though, is that, um, everyone, all the clinicians listening today would, is to remember that there's a person attached to who we're treating. That, um, you know, and I think that's what's really shone through from what we've talked about today is it's really easy for us as clinicians to get caught up in the treatment and the outcomes of what we want and, you know, mm -hmm. in getting this, but remembering that there's so much emotion attached to what we're doing. And when we're doing something all day, every day, the surgeons or the prosthodontists or the dentists or the dental hygienists or the dental nurses, you know, you can really get caught up in just that it's routine and you can go through and just go through your, but we've really got to remember that it's not routine for the person that sits in the treatment chair. It's always something new. It's always something different for them. So we really have to not get into our routine. We have to remember that it's something really full on for that person that's sitting in front of us and remember to keep that compassion in all of our appointments. I think that's really, really important as well um, because 
Yeah. I think that I think that can make like what stood out for me is those couple of people that remembered that you're a person and pointed out they've been so pivotal in your story and really made a big difference. The other ones I don't remember their names. Yeah. Right. If they all did that, then you would have would have had a completely different oh. experience. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, cancer sucks and, and not having my feeling in my lower lip sucks and, and, and not having in all of that sucks. But definitely this has made, been made far more difficult on me by poor services. That's the worst part of it. Yeah. And there are people there that want to help. I mean, that nurse asking me, I think that, you know, you asked me before, what can we do? Well, one thing that everyone needs is like have you got someone and when she yeah. said that that means that she cares if i'm okay meant yeah. that she it just showed me that she you know and i think you know i said oh well we'll let joe can tell me get over it you know but i i'm i'm because you know what because i'm thinking about like while you're sitting there what what could what can it what can anyone in the room do that couldn't have make me feel less um weird but it's the after the treatment's done, as you leave, you know, before you leave, like, are you okay? Yeah. You know, so, and asking, sorry? Checking in with you, you know, calling you the she, next that's day. That's exactly How right. You? She checked what? in. Yeah. Yeah. And it that's meant a lot. It just really meant a lot that she, um, you know, because the surgeon was already gone. You know, he's gone on to his next appointment. She's trays and cleaning up my face. And, um, and, you know, like, I'm not saying should, that, you know, obviously that's a bit above and beyond offering to walk around the block with me. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe she, you know, like at the end of the day, she might need to stretch her legs as well at that point. You know, like, I don't think it was a very, um, and I'm sure she's seen plenty of that, you know, like it's, it, I wasn't at the dentist, you know, I was at a surgeon's office. So I'm sure she's seen that level of that amount of blood and and physical force and stress of what he put on, and I'm I'm also sure that that they don't see that every day. What what just happened? Yeah. You know, like I'm sure they don't see that every day. Um, in fact, he called people in to come and have a look at it, <laughs> like so that you know. And I actually and and I'm one of the people that does that doesn't mind that. I kind of like that because I think if I'm going to go through all of this, somebody learns something from this, you know. Yeah. Um, so um, I'm I'm not one to be I'm I'm like take a photo of this check this out because this is full on you know I, I rather yeah. it be acknowledged that it's full how full on it is you know it feels like my emotion my big emotions about it all um, are right. acknowledged as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I actually want to thank you so much for taking the time and sharing this story with our listeners for that exact reason, that now we have the ability to learn from your experience and we can all take something from that and do better in our operatories. So I just want to say again, thank you. Like from the bottom of my heart, this has just been incredible that you have the strength and how strong you've been all through this whole yeah. experience, advocating for yourself and speaking up and using your voice. And I hope that our disruptors can hear that and and be encouraged by your power and 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 how how amazing you have advocated for yourself and and just your strength is incredible so i thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your story mm. with us and thank you, for, thank you for also like giving me a platform to talk about my story you know because 
um, yeah, in, ca in some cancer support, I've had opportunities, which has been really great. But, you know, this is, um, yeah, when Tabitha asked me the other day, I'm glad there wasn't a long time to think about it, <laughs> but just asked me and then we just did it because <laughs> I think I would have toed and froed about whether I wanted to, um, you know, but um, I'm glad I didn't overthink it and just did it. And, you know, and and so thanks Thanks so much for this platform to it to as well say and and thanks for having a platform like this to improve the you know to improve this whole system because it's so important. Like I said, this this could have been a completely different journey for me. Um, there's some things that are not controllable, but uh, yeah, like I said, there've been far more bad clinicians than there have been good, which is just shocking, you know. Yeah. yeah. And very skilled and great at what they do but how they portray their interactions with you is so poor that that is the feeling and and that's your reality is what you've gotten but thank you again i am so thank grateful you. tabitha and i are both so grateful for you to be here and i know our listeners will too so we'll have to share with you the feedback we get from them as as they get to listen to your your story in this episode so yeah. thank you Disruptors for being here and joining us. Until next time, make sure you keep on disrupting. Bye. Bye. Hey, thank you again so much for tuning into the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. We love to hear from you viewers and we love that you join us for our episodes. Please make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And leave us a review. We love reading reviews from all over the world. It's one of the things that actually makes all the hard work feel really worth it when we get to see which episodes you're enjoying or some feedback that you give. So leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or write something on our Facebook or our Instagram page. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks so much for listening. Keep on disrupting.